You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to the 602 Club. We are right here. And there's Christy. Hey, Christy, how are you? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> oh my gosh well i think everybody can tell if you uh if you just happen to listen to the episode without looking at anything uh we're talking about et today which is really fun because uh it's something that we've never talked about before here on the 602 club which is great and uh so it's kind of fun to dive back into uh the catalog of films which have inspired so many of the things that we have watched uh, and this is going to be, I think, a really, really great episode. So I can't wait to talk about it. But before we get there, just want to say thank you, of course, to everyone who listens. We really do appreciate it. If you would like to help the show grow, especially as we get to our 400th episode here very soon, mm-hmm. um, share us with your friends. Tell tell your friends about us. You can do that on social media, of course. Uh, you can find us uh, under the moniker of the 602 Club on Twitter. We'd love if you would follow us there. Of course, you can also do that on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. And uh, you can give us reviews on places like Spotify, where you can give us a star rating or a star rating and written review over on Apple Podcasts. That still helps people find the show. It's a great way to recommend the show to other listeners of those podcast places. Um, and, of course, you can find us online on Facebook at facebook.com slash trackfm with the entire network. And then there's the listeners-only discussion group that you can join where you can talk to listeners from all over the world about every show that we're doing here. And, of course, we're online at trek.fm, which is our main website. And you can see all the shows there as well. And, of course, uh, you could send us an email over at the contact section. Plus, uh, if you want to make sure that all of the shows keep coming to you here on the network, we would really appreciate if you go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can support the network. There's just absolutely no way we can afford to do this all on our own. So go over there and you can um, see different ways that you can support us. In the end, every little bit helps. But, uh, Christy... Uh, this is another movie, uh, kind of like the last movie we talked about, it, which has an anniversary this year. Uh, it is 40 years old. Don't so tell that me that. Me feel very old. <laughs> Same. Uh, because I was three when it came out. And um, so because this movie has such a longevity, E.T., the extraterrestrial I'm wondering, you know, what your history is with the movie and if you remember the first time that you saw it. So I will say I don't remember exactly, you know, the uh, where and um, date that I saw it. Um, I remember I was very young um, and it's one of my earliest movie memories, um, which is cool to say. Like, I, I actually don't know. Well, I I wouldn't have seen it in the theater. Let me put it that way. I definitely would have seen it at home because I wasn't born till right. 87. <laughs> but, um, 
yeah, it it's something that like I vividly recall scenes in my head even before the rewatch this time um, of, you know, Drew Barrymore running into E.T. and screaming and of uh, I remember it really freaking me out as being a little kid seeing E.T. and Elliot with all of the electrodes stuck to their chests and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that, too, is because I ended up being a kid who was sick a lot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is one of those that, like, I can't really separate it from my childhood because it's so long ago that it was my first viewing. What about you? Yeah, you know, um, I uh, I think... This is a really interesting one for me because I remember actually seeing this one in a theater. Um, uh, some friends of ours uh, I grew up with, uh, they had two sons at the time, and um, we were, our families were best friends. And uh, our dads took us to see E.T. at the Omni uh, in Dallas, which is one of our, it might have been in Fort Worth, at that, I think the Omni is in Fort Worth. But it was so long ago, I have trouble remembering, um, which is a big screen that takes place uh, on the ceiling. It's one of those oh. curved ceilings and everything. So just really neat. And uh, so that's the first time I remember seeing uh, the movie. And i pretty sure by that point in time, I had seen the Star Wars films and... So, um, but yeah, this is, this is definitely an early memory. And what's interesting for me just personally is that this isn't a movie that I like have loved before. So Mm -hmm. it was really interesting to rewatch, come back to this movie after so long because I haven't seen it in quite a while just to see what my reaction is now, which, you know, I, I mean, it was, I, I didn't hate the movie or anything, but for me, it was never one of those uh, at the time that was in my upper echelon of of movies where what I you know thought of it as highly as other people did. So I think one of the things will be interesting uh, as we talk through here with our rewatch and kind of coming back to the film is if that any of that's changed for for me at all, which. You know, I I think it is always fascinating to come back to a movie, uh, you know, that you have not seen in a very long time. And really, about half a year ago, I watched a documentary uh, on Spielberg, which was very well done, very interesting, uh, and I highly recommend it. But he talked about E.T., and he talked about that this was something personal for him. Uh, and that um, this is a movie that really is born out of the divorce of his parents. And um, the fact that for himself to fill that void, he had an imaginary alien companion, um, a friend who could be a brother that he never had and a father he didn't feel he had anymore. Mm-hmm. And so watching this movie again and being a child of divorce my dad uh having left our family um in much the same way you get the feeling that Elliot's family had uh, watching this movie for me was much more personal this time around um wow and completely different because of that experience of knowing that this is where this comes from for Spielberg 
uh, and and now kind of uh, having that experience myself. I never knew that about you, honestly. Like I, I feel like this had to then be like this viewing had to be much more emotional for you. Yeah, a hundred percent. Hundred percent. I I mean I I will freely admit there there may have been some tears. Uh, I was going to say like there would so. be for me. <laughs> I mean, I, thankfully at least I guess I'll say my parents didn't get divorced till I was an adult. Um, but I I could see how that would be hard. Um, yeah. But also like well, and you know my parents didn't leave to or my parents didn't get divorced till I was an adult, but oh, it had okay. a massive impact on my life. So. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I was I was finishing college at the time, so I guess you know I I, I you're still an adult, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was it was a completely different experience this time around watching this movie and the I because I think uh you could tell this comes from the child of divorce. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it's just so clear. But it's interesting how it could definitely be called a children's movie in some ways but then also mm-hmm. as an adult it has a totally different meaning like i can tell you for sure all the times i watched this previously when i was young i didn't pick up on that right yep i mean yep. like i remember obviously like for whatever reason he didn't have a father figure around but i didn't mm-hmm. really look that deeply into it yeah it was like no, okay I, I, whatever but now yeah like you definitely see all those little comments that they make in the movie as characters you know with uh, um mm-hmm. dad went to mexico it feels like you know yep. when someone says they have a fake girlfriend from canada like yeah okay mm-hmm. mexico <laughs> yeah i mean the the thing about this that that really I, I think obviously struck me was the way in which not not only uh, obviously is this uh, so much more meaningful to me now uh, you know having uh, seen it and um, been able to kind of process it in a completely different way but I think you're absolutely right you know that's one of the things about kids movies right is that. That is one of the things about movies in general, especially movies that are aimed more at children in the first place, is there are a lot of ways in which we watch a movie as a child and then we see it completely differently as we grow older because we can begin to, you know, pick up on those nuances. And and this is definitely one of those. Um, I'd also say, you know, I knew a lot of people that, you know, grew up watching something like Grease, right? Which... Mm -hmm. Sadly, as we're recording this, Olivia Newton-John has just passed today. Um, And so I hope, yeah, I hope she will rest in peace. But, um, you know, that's a movie to which you watch that as a child or as a young person and you may not understand at all what's going on and get half of what's happening in the movie at most, right? Yeah. You get older and you realize, good night, this movie is just full of massive innuendo mm-hmm. all over the place right and so yeah you the way you watch a movie can completely change and so this different definitely did for me um but also i i think by being able to see that now especially as an adult you can truly tell the way in which uh you know elliot and et are both dealing with 
abandonment. You know, mm-hmm. um, one might say alienation. Uh, oh my God. And so, <laughs> um, and because of that, the characters bond. Mm-hmm. You know, and and of course, it, it's it's even a point in the movie that that there's the been this connection between Elliot and E.T. that they are feeling what each other's feeling um, humorously, but we also see that just throughout, you know, the the um, the movie as well, more seriously. Um, and it's, I think it's, it makes the movie mean so much more when you see the way in which not only was this, of course, personal to Spielberg, but he uses it as a story point to bring these two characters together that are feeling something that is very similar since, you know, E.T. is stranded here on Earth and he doesn't know if he's ever going to get to be able to go back home. Mm-hmm. And brings up the whole topic in general of what home means to someone or something. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. um, it really, it's it's an amazing movie in the sense that Spielberg, I don't feel like came into it at all wanting to just tell a fun alien story. You know, it's really about the bigger picture about, right. Um, like you were saying, you know, like how it reflects what he went through as a child of divorce, um, how, um, we communicate and relate to each other. Um, what Mm -hmm. family means, um it all these really big broad um topics that you mm-hmm. can say in something that seems so simple right well and and what's so interesting too is that et is the wish fulfillment of a child known as steven spielberg who desire was that he could go home again and it would be the same. Right. You know, and E.T. gets that. Elliot doesn't. Elliot will never be able to go back home again. You know, his his experiences here, um, even though these experiences help bring his broken family closer together, his family will never be the same. Mm-hmm. And his life will never be the same. And home will never be the same again. And I think there's something really beautiful about the way the movie plays out as wish fulfillment through E.T., but also has the reality uh, for the rest of us where, yeah, life, if this has happened to you, if you're a child of divorce, life is never going to be the same again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, um, that's, that's a really, I mean, it's just a really emotional thing to especially if you've been a child of that and so yeah I, I think it really gets it well i mean like you said this movie is about so much more than just an alien movie this really is a, in many ways about somebody working out things that happen in their own life you know mm-hmm. abandonment issues yeah no i i think that it really it tells that so well especially in the end you know it's like the way that they say goodbye even is that Elliot also has to have some kind of acceptance of what's going on finally with E.T. leaving, but then also with his life being different. Yeah, I think that's 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 really well said and definitely a big part 
of the film and you know this is this whole situation is is what allows him i think to finally begin to process that and move forward mm-hmm. um and so yeah and and again it's also too you know the, the the entire family of his mom his sister and his brother and he are all brought closer together because of this. You know, at the beginning of the movie, you kind of see how, you know, his brother's like, eh, you know, like a little brother, just annoying and everything. You know, little sister is the person that neither of them really pay attention to. And um, and then mom is just trying to deal with all this. And this whole experience helps them see that they only have each other and they need each other in a way that could never have happened. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. This, this movie is about so much more than that. And... Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, when talk about the idea of just E.T. in general and creating E.T. then and what we see now, like this is a really um, neat thing, the way he's created in the sense that they have th- uh, two different little people who are um, helped in help in the creation of wearing the suit, as well as they had a 12 year old boy who was born without legs who also wore the costume to help them out um, of course they had you know the um, uh, incredible uh, work there done by ILM to create ET in the first place um, with the animatronics and the way it's controlled like I mean it's pretty impressive to me how well all of this still works even in today's day and age and I'm glad that you brought that up because how E.T. looks is one of the most important things of the film. If you think about in our minds what we originally thought aliens might look like, I would say, you know, more times than not, it was little green men with large blank black eyes. Yeah. <laughs> which is not very warm and friendly looking. <laughs> So I'm glad that you can tell here that they really went with a more human looking kind of eyes mm-hmm. um, and gave him more even human looking facial features. You know, he does at least still have like a nose, a mouth, ears kind of things um, to make him look more approachable. And I'm glad that they went that route because I think that's also yeah. paired with the sounds that they have him make and the way he speaks make him come across less threatening um, and much more like sometimes Mm -hmm. childlike. Yeah. No, I think um, the creation of E.T., like you said, in all honesty, if this character does not work on screen, the movie itself doesn't work. And obviously they completely understood that. And not only did they uh, understand that, but I think it's it's very much akin to the same way in which, uh, you know, they'll work with Yoda on episode five in the sense that if that doesn't work, they know that that movie won't work either. And mm-hmm. so I think that there's something really special about the work that they put into creating this character to make it real so that you feel it, so that you feel like it's there and and it's alive. Um, This absolutely 100%, I think, still works. It still feels like a a real thing. And part of that is because it was a real thing. 
And I think that's something that's really special. And, you know, they actually spent time uh, going to an eye institute to understand how real eyes work so that they could try to get this right because you need that expressiveness in those eyes to create something that feels real, that feels like it makes sense, you know, Mm -hmm. to us. Um, And I think the way that they created E.T., you wanted something that wasn't that scary thing. Right. You, you didn't want an alien, like you said, that, that felt like aliens from, you know, the, the aliens from the exomorphs from, from alien. You know, right. you, you needed something like this. And so, yeah, I was, I was shocked by just how well it still works. Um, and I love it. I mean, I think the the puppet works really well. And then having it was funny because this last year, I went to Orlando uh, to hang out with John Mills, and we went to Universal and we rode the ET ride. Oh, uh, which awesome! Was really fun. Um, yeah, and uh, so it was great to see uh, the ET ride, and again, just how well this works um, there. And uh, yeah, all the time and effort that they put in in this movie to creating this character pays off even today. And I think that's what is really special. So, um, Mm -hmm. did you know uh, one random thing, uh, that I was just reading is that they wanted to use M and M's in this movie, but the Mars corporation wouldn't let them use them because they thought children would be frightened by ET. So they went with Reese's pieces. So, wow, (laughs) huge mistake. Yeah. Huge mistake. You could have zoomed in and had M&M everything. I mean, talk about product placement. And now... Absolutely. And, you know, actually the crazy thing is maybe this is why Reese's Pieces are one of my favorite candies. <laughs> it could be. It could be. They imprinted it imprinted me probably that. is. So. So, yeah. yeah um, but that's hilarious. Uh Mars, that was a dumb decision. I'm just going to tell you. Also, the name of yeah. your company, perfect for this movie. Yes, exactly. Exactly. No, it, I was just completely floored by that. Like, that is funny. How would children be terrified of E.T.? Like, I don't get it. So, um, yeah. But uh, as as um, Julia Roberts would say in Pretty Woman, big mistake. Huge Huge mistake. (laughs) So, um, also, I I think it was really just another kind of random thing. This movie, uh, rewatching it, I was like, I can completely see how this is one of the things that really inspires early Stranger Things. Oh, Um, definitely. It's just it's it's all over the place, you know, um, from the kids riding the bikes to um, them playing D&D to the way that they kind of talk to each other, Mm -hmm. uh, the brother and sister relationships you get. I mean, this movie is definitely something that the Duffer brothers must have been watching on repeat as kids because uh, it just really plays in. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was. Yeah, that that part, obviously, it's totally obvious. Duh. But it, after rewatching it, it just makes so much more sense, especially, you know, having been immersed in Stranger Things for, you know, the last 
however many years we've been immersed in that. Mm-hmm. It feels like forever at this point, but mm-hmm. um, so you know, the cast is obviously a very important part of this, and um, so I wanted to ask you. You know, I was really struck by how well D. Wallace plays their mother and her struggle again watching it from being an adult her struggling with trying to raise these kids whose husband has left for another woman and trying to find a way to make all this work and not take out her frustration on her kids mm-hmm. um i thought was really well done i thought she does a fantastic job in the movie and um i yeah i was just i i was pulled in by her performance even though she's not on screen a ton every 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 scene with her i felt like had more resonance especially as an adult yeah and you know i feel like you have that moment where initially i mean at least with me i was thinking i would notice her like leave gert by herself um and like leave the house to go do something and i was like whoa hey that kid is way too young to be left alone at the house by herself. But then I also had to think to myself, wouldn't you be just as frazzled and not sure how to handle situations like that and deserve some grace? Because maybe she didn't want to do that, but at the time felt like there was no other option. You know what I mean? Like she's really got her hands full having a girl that is that little as well as the middle child, Elliot, who is for her just causing lots of trouble right now. And then her oldest, who is really, you know, trying to help the two others understand what's going on and kind of step up and be like the new man of the house, but is also still just a kid. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I think she really plays well. um, A mother who is trying to keep it all together and the cracks are showing. I mean, because how wouldn't they, you know, that she's mm-hmm. not having an easy time of it. Yep. Yep. hundred percent agree with you. I, I think she does a, a great job uh, in the film and I really appreciate uh, the, the care I think Spielberg takes with the character and how difficult that position that is in. So as you're doing this as an adult now looking back and i think he he takes a lot of care with this and you can tell obviously the 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 connection he probably has with his own mom uh in this as well uh and the relationship that they would have built uh in in the the years since that had happened so mm-hmm. um looking back on henry thomas as elliot how do you how did you feel about his performance, especially since this movie, as much as it hinges on E.T. working, it also hinges on us wanting to follow Elliot around for the entire movie. Good point. Sort of like with Stranger Things again, if the kids don't do a good job, the show doesn't work. The, yep. the movie doesn't work. Yep. Um. So I will say sort of about him as well. I felt two different ways. One as a kid, I was much more willing to go along with him. Um, And as an adult was thinking, there's a lot of screaming in this movie, (laughs) particularly from Elliot. 
So sometimes I would say that kind of grated on my nerves as an adult, but I understand, you know, he's supposed to be 10 years old. He's got all of these feelings about all this change going on. I get it, you know, um, so I can forgive a little bit more in that sense. Um, but I think especially for being such a young actor playing this character that he does do a good job and really gets across that he's a good brother, you know, like he was willing to go out and get his older brother's pizza and very sweetly introduces his little sister to E.T. and is trying so hard not to scare her um, mm-hmm. and then trying to also not get them in trouble with their mom. <laughs> um, yeah, he does seem to have a big heart, even though he also is going through a lot and trying not to just be a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I uh, rewatching it, I, I felt like he does a great job at I think this whole movie is full of child actors to which you you see that Spielberg was able to get great performances out of. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, uh, to me, he definitely carries the movie uh, well. And I think he has a great balance between playing somebody who is hurt and frustrated and all those things, and barely has the ability to process any of that. But at the same time, uh, like you said, he pours his heart out to this alien who needs help mm-hmm. in in a way that is just kind of beautiful. You know, um, he plays the scenes like when he's supposed to be drunk and going crazy in class really well. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's a range of emotions that we're we're asking from from him at that age and i think he pretty much nails it um i i was really impressed by him and so i really enjoyed his performance and i found it to be moving you know especially as the the movie's ending and et's having to leave and and the the heartache that comes with that you know and again we were talking about that the deeper meaning of the film and that realization of him coming to to grips with how this kind of is connected basically with every part of his life, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and for him, the big difference being E.T. is not abandoning him. E.T. is going home to where he belongs, you know? Um, and um, that E.T. obviously still cares for him. You know, these, these kids... Yeah barely hear from their father at all it seems like so which is is terrifying and terrible to think of but that's the reality of what happens in a lot of these situations well and i think too so et even asks um elliot one at one point to come with him and elliot says i have to stay Mm -hmm. yeah but i mean think about how things might have gone if elliot was like okay (laughs) you know he could have easily just said sure and left as well Mm -hmm. but yeah something makes him want to stay yeah and i thought you know too his uh the brother that we get in the film uh played by robert mcnaughton um we don't you know he's he's not in the movie a ton but i i do love watching the story of a brother who kind of sees his little brother as a pest Mm mm-hmm 
And then by the end of the movie, you know, he's willing to do whatever it takes to help his brother. And I thought that that um, that was really cool. And, and him and Elliot working together with their sister, uh, I thought was really cute. And I liked his performance a lot. And I think he did a really good job in the movie. Um, and it just worked. Um, I think it um, it really worked. They They felt like brothers, which was great. That's exactly what you needed. In every sense of the term, good and bad, right? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I love, like you said, he he starts off really just that typical older brother relationship that you see all the time of the annoyance between the two of them. Um, and then, you know, the older brother really coming to root for him. And I think also it changed him once he realized that Elliot wasn't just making things up. You know, when he realized E.T. was real and got to see him for himself and everything, that it was suddenly a whole different ballgame and maybe bringing some things to him that he didn't see before in his younger brother um, of that responsibility for something and of really trying to smooth things over as best as he could instead of just being a pest. Mm hmm. Yep. To where, yeah, yeah, 100%. Then he's rooting for him. I, I love that scene where he gets into the, um, oh, what is it? Like the tube where their, you know, their house has been tented and everything. And the two of them, oh, he, yes, he yep. tells him in a place where no one else could hear them that E.T.'s alive and they start jumping up and down. It's so cute. Yes. Well, uh, you know, I think most people think of this as being. Drew Barrymore's first movie because most people haven't seen Altered States uh, because she just had a small role there. But this movie really put her on the map uh, as an actress. And I mean, I don't know. What can you say? She's completely adorable in this movie uh, mm -hmm. and just nails the role. I, I think um, absolutely the perfect casting from Spielberg. He, he chose, you know, wisely. <laughs> and uh, because she's everything that you want this character to be you know she gives you all of the emotion that you need um, but there's just a spunk and a fun to her that really make this role more than it would have been I think if you had had another child actor playing it and I think she does a great job so yeah I think having her in the pigtails and the little overalls just adds that much more to it but she is so unique in the way that she plays this character and um is both what you expect of a girl that age and then also some things that you really don't expect um like how she's not afraid of him after that initial meeting she really warms to him and i think because of maybe et's size as well sees him as an equal um, and then is teaching him to speak. And then I love that, you know, Elliot gets back from having to go to school and sees how much she has bonded with E.T. and taught him things that Elliot hadn't. Um, it was so sweet. And I really think, like you said, like there there wasn't a better choice to play Gertie. And what a cute name, too, for her. Like she just all the cuteness came together. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. Um, one of the things that I was really interested in is, and I because I couldn't, it had been so long since I'd seen this, I didn't really remember Keys as a character. Uh, and we never even learned his name. But, you know, he's right. the government agent who's bent on capturing E.T. And what I thought was really interesting is that watching it as an adult now, I realized that he's not interested in capturing him to kill him or anything. He has the same type of, at least this is what I got, like he feels like he has the same type of wonder for meeting somebody from another planet in some ways as as Elliot does. Yeah. And... And so, uh, and that, of course, you know, he feels like he wants to protect him too. And so I was really surprised by that because you also, what's so interesting about the movie is that you never see the adults. Everybody, except for their mother, is filmed from the waist down, you know, in kind of the way in which children see the world. Yeah. Until... The end when, you know, all of the agents storm in and everything. Uh, And then, of course, you see people like on the street and all. But I just thought that was really, really interesting. Um, And I thought, you know, Peter Cody did a great job um, because that type of character so much of the time just is seen as the bad person. And I think he played it in a completely different way. And I I was I liked that, you know, um, that he isn't necessarily the bad guy you know i mean it's it's actually more a lot of ways the reality of what a government response would be like if you did have an alien you know um Mm -hmm. and then and him realizing that you know this this character is trying to get home and not stopping them in the end so well, and I'm glad you brought up the way that they filmed the adults for most of the movie because that is 100% the vibe that you get from the way that they've filmed him as Keys is it, you mostly just see and hear the Keys whenever he shows up and you don't ever see his face until the end. And they give off a vibe from the way that he always shows up that it's impending doom of some kind. You know, it's always kind of dark. He's walking up on things. You know, he's there. Suddenly, Elliot comes across him when he's trying to get to the site where the ship had crashed. Um, So you get this feeling that he is a bad guy until he confronts Mm -hmm. Elliot at the end and says what he says. And I think, if I remember correctly, he even says, I had a similar encounter when I was 10 Mm -hmm. years old. And that's why I feel this way. So I thought that that was a cool thing to add. Um, And yes, completely play him then as a different kind of character than you would ever see in an alien movie. It's always when this person comes in that wants to discover something that it's about all the probing Mm -hmm. they could do on it and, you know, autopsies and stuff on something that maybe should be saved. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think it is just so neat to see that. Um, what uh, I've got to ask you a little bit um, about just the voice work for E.T. because I thought this was hilarious that um, Ben Burt loved the sound of Pat Welsh's voice so much. Uh, and it was really helpful 
for him because uh, she smoked two packs a day. <laughs> and that's what helped create that voice along with a bunch of other, like he recorded 16 other people and various animals to create the voice that we get, which is just phenomenal. But I just thought that was really funny. No, that's hilarious. I felt like once you said that, uh, oh, that's where that phrase comes from. <laughs> it's like you smoke two packs a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can hear it, too. Once you're like when you're thinking back about the voice, you're like, oh, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. So and even uh, his sleeping wife sick with a cold, um, his professor's burp like that's just the funniest mm-hmm. stuff. But I mean, it makes sense when you're someone who's that immersed in finding the best sound. Mm-hmm. You think a lot more deeply about where different sounds come from and how to put them together. Yeah. And it works. Yep. Yeah, I think it absolutely does. And um, I, you know, I think this is uh, one of the special things about the film in the sense of uh, the way that. You know, we get all these incredible people working at ILM at this point, Ben Burt being one, uh, and his work and sound is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. And, you know, everything he does here, it, it just, it becomes so iconic, and it still holds up, And which I think the effects to me are still things that, you know, I mean, obviously they're not perfect by our time, but what they're doing and how well they hold up, I thought were pretty phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, you and I still talk sometimes today about how movies that have gone the 3D animation route maybe should have stuck with some more practical effects like, you know, the old days because people did so much with what they had um, because they didn't have any other option. And then now it's like mm-hmm. some of those things are better than we could get through you know 3d animation and um different kinds of computer generated things um than we ever had before with practical effects so yeah i mean i i think of et and the dark crystal um as really paving the way for some amazing puppets and practical effects and i mean in star wars obviously um just really making something come to life with real things Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no i couldn't agree with you more i think this is a movie that really does uh stand the test of time in that way which it is helped of course by the music and the fact that this is an absolute john williams classic Mm -hmm. when it comes to his scores Oh, yeah. It's got recognizable themes that are unique to it. Um, It's definitely his trademark style of putting together a score. Um, And it has that vibe to it, especially of the scenes where Elliot and E.T. take off flying on the bicycles. Um, It has that sense of wonder reflected in the score that they're trying to go for. And I mean... Nobody does that like John Williams. No, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, obviously John Williams, and and it's it it's it's almost redundant at this point, uh, just because almost any time that he's doing a score, it's phenomenal. 
And, you know, this is one of his most recognizable themes, uh, along with, you know, Superman, Star Wars, and Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think um, it's it's incredible uh, what he is able to do. Uh, and I think he's the the thing that makes this so good is the way in which the music sets all the tension in the film but then um the little motifs that kind of allow you to know that you know ET is not a dangerous character right. and that you know helps in the fact that you know this movie is about a 10-year-old boy meeting an alien and helping him and not feeling like there's danger involved uh, and so, you know, I think uh, Williams and the work that he does, this movie wouldn't be the same. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's the same with uh, obviously Star Wars, right? Um, that uh, or Indiana Jones or I mean, just pick any of the movies that John Williams Jaws. I mean, gosh, all of his movies. Uh, have one thing in common and and it's that if you take out the theme that he created most likely the movie would just be completely different um and Mm -hmm. so yeah um i don't know if you knew this christy but i i do remember when this happened there was quite an uproar uh that uh with the 20th anniversary edition dubbed this special edition that Spielberg had gone in and changed a few things with some com- uh, computer imagery, uh, with some CGI, and modified some shots, especially of like ET running uh, and being spotted in the cornfield. Um, the spaceship design had been altered a little bit as well, and uh, w- there were some extra scenes added into the movie, and uh, and so. Did you ever see this version of the film at all? No. I find it particularly disturbing that they talk about E.T. taking a bath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm there with you. I never saw this version either, and uh, I find it really fascinating that for the film's 30th anniversary release on Blu- Blu-ray uh, and for the 35th anniversary on the ultra-high-def Blu-ray, uh, or 4K that this is not available. Like this is out of circulation now. So only the theatrical original edition exists at this point in the sense of like what you're going to be able to buy unless you go and find the DVD version of this. So um, that sounds like a challenge. Yeah. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> is this like the but, holiday special? <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, I, I would be interested just to see this, just to see what it looked like. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think, to me, the movie, as I as I rewatched it, it didn't need any tinkering with the effects in any way to me. Um, you know, I, I... This is not a movie to which, you know, I, I'm sure people would argue with me, but... You know, I I can see the validity of George Lucas wanting to do some things in Star Wars to help uh, where there are things that just when you're trying to do things for the very first time, there was no better way to do it or you couldn't do it at all. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a different story to me with this film where all the effects still look, I think, really good. Uh, and are they are they perfect by today's standards? No, but that's not the point. Um, and so I'm I'm glad that they have just gone back to the theatrical edition being the one in circulation. Now, I can't say that adding those extra scenes in, though, might not be something that would be interesting, you know. Um, so there's a there's a few little scenes here and there. Um, but I'm also glad that this is not the edition that is in circulation because I, Spielberg kind of went in and did some tinkering in the sense that he had replaced the word terrorist with hippie mm-hmm. uh, in the scene. Um, talking about their Halloween costume. Uh, he had replaced the guns with walkie-talkies. I just think they're, you know, that's taking things way too far. Uh, that's the type of thing, or I think, where people, t- when you really are talking about altering a film, that's where it's like, come on, stop that. Right. It, it feels like almost if it's even trying to treat it with kid gloves to make it more... um Right. Tame for children when it's stuff that children can still see and understand and be okay with. Mm-hmm. I think those changes yeah. in the grand scheme of things wouldn't really have mattered to me as a kid anyway. <laughs> right. Well, and I just think that there's there's no reason to change those things at this point. Don't fix it um, if it ain't broke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. Yeah. So, well, I, I'm very interested to see what you are going to rate E.T. then, Christy, after our conversation, because I don't feel like we've had anything bad to say about it so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, this is something that obviously, especially for our generations, um, has become a staple in life. And it's something that I would fully expect. I need to make sure my niece and nephew see my kids and grandkids and whatever someday, you know, it's something that I feel like it needs to be a part of every child growing up to see this movie. And it's the thing that really started it all when it comes to, you know, I on recently, I think we talked about stranger things. We talked about all the Amblin movies we love this was only the third film to come out under the Amblin entertainment name. And then the shot of Elliot and E.T. with the bicycle passing the moon became their logo. It's something that is referred to in pop culture constantly. I mean, how many times in your life do you think you've said E.T. phone home, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and done the finger thing? Um, So, yeah, there's not really a lot to um, dog this movie for. Um, I think that there's things that going back and rewatching, I would say maybe aren't my favorite, but it's not like it really incredibly bothers me. Like I said, (laughs) I feel like there's a lot more screaming that I noticed as an adult than I did as a kid. But overall, I still give it a four out of five. Um, Oh gosh. I was trying to think of what to rate with station wagons because this was definitely the era of that car um Mm -hmm. it's just so cute and i think that you really go on a heartfelt 
journey with this movie. Mm-hmm. And like I said, then it becomes one of those films that's a staple in your upbringing and just gives you the warm, fuzzy feeling every time you watch it. So, yeah, I, I still love this movie. Um, and I'm sure you're probably on the same page. Yeah, I mean, when I went back and looked at my letterbox rating for this movie, it was two and a half out of five. Wow. Previously. And rewatching this movie was a, you know, not religious experience, but it was a completely different experience, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is one of those movies to which there is just pretty much nothing wrong with it. It's 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 not I I dare to say it's it's a pretty perfect movie. Like everything to me comes together. It's it's so well uh, directed uh all the actors are on point. The story is on point. This is a very quick two-hour film. There's no fat in this movie. There's nothing I would say, oh, you could trim here or like that. You know, there's none of that. Like, to me, this is just a perfect movie, which and that means it deserves a perfect score of five. It's five out of five Reese's Pieces. So because <laughs> nice. if you eat five, you're just going to want more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... I I couldn't find anything that I didn't like about this movie personally, uh, rewatching it. And, and then of course it's not just that, but this movie speaks to me in a way that it never spoke to me when I was a kid. Um, and you know, that's of course, uh, a hard thing. in the fact that I understand this movie better in a very personal way, um, but it also makes the movie even better for me because it does speak to me in that way. So yeah, I I love ET now. It's it's absolutely one of my favorite movies. So, um, hundred percent. And uh, so I'm glad. I'm I'm really glad we went back and talked about this because when I put it on the schedule, I was thinking, oh, I don't even really like this. It's going to be one of those movies where I'm like. Uh, trying to, uh, you know, be objective about it and like try and explain why I don't really think it's that great. And then it just totally blew me away. So that's <laughs> kind of fun. But uh, Christy, we are at that time of the show where we give out some recommendations for everybody. So what would you like to recommend everybody this week? Well, I actually am going to recommend something. Speaking of pulling stuff out from years ago, um, I saw a friend of mine wearing when I went to visit Eric and Amanda in Chicago recently. Um, he was wearing a Stargate SG-1 t-shirt. Nice. And I was trying to think the last time I had seen someone wear that on their shirt. And it made me so happy. And it just absolutely gave me a blast from the past to the days where my dad and I would sit down and watch the Sci-Fi Channel when I got home from school. Nice. And watch Stargate SG-1 together. And so I'm going to recommend you go and find whatever streaming service you need to stream this on, but that you check out Stargate SG-1 if you haven't, because it is one of those, to me at least, essential sci-fi series that had some really great themes to it. It was well cast. Um, Teal'c and Daniel are still some of my favorite characters of all time. Um 
I just can't say enough good things about it. And it's about traveling through portals and time travel mm-hmm. and it's awesome. So yeah, I'm going to recommend you check out Stargate SG one. Nice. Well, uh, I'm going to recommend uh, something very interesting, I think. And, um, and that is the documentary that just landed on Disney plus called light and magic which ah. is all about industrial light and magic. And it does a good job, especially as walking through those first uh, few years as you see um, what they're doing and how they're creating everything, especially in light of trying to do this for Star Wars. Um, I would not say it is a perfect documentary. Um, I think there's a lot that could have been done to make it better, but it is very interesting, especially if you haven't read a lot of the behind-the-scenes books of... Star Wars and those kind of things where you've gotten a lot of this type of information of this type of creation. So I definitely encourage you. It's worth checking out that, uh, especially since we just talked about E.T. in the very early years of ILM in creating this type of film. So, Christy, if people wanted to catch up with you, though, and see what else you've got going on, where would they find you? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. At Bespin Bell. I'm starting to upload a few more things on TikTok and Instagram especially, so I hope you'll check that out. Um, I also appear in the Babel Conference, and when I'm not here, um, I had a finished podcast called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network, and we're looking to continue that in some way, so keep an eye out um, as well on Twin Sons Amanda and Ice Cold Penguin. Um, But what about you? Well, uh, you could find me all over the place, of course, on social media under the name MattRushing02, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero. Of course, when I'm not here in the 602 Club, you'll find me doing literary treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard, and Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And then over on the Nerd Party Network... There are two shows you can check out. One is a completed show I did with Drea Kaufman about Harry Potter. Every single chapter of that series, one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, with the great John Mills, I do Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 